so grateful for you guys. Happy Father's Day, guys. Really wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say, especially in Father's Day. There are some of us here um, who, when we think about Father's Day, our hearts are broken, per perhaps because our fathers are not here, maybe because our fathers have, have gone. You know, when you lose a loved one, days like Father's Day, Mother's Day, things like that, it just tends to remind you of what you've lost. So I just, I know that sometimes today is not as easy um, as it is for some. And then there are some fathers here, I want to speak to you as well, who you weren't the father that you wanted to be or that you dreamed you would be. And I want you to know that there's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ for even bad fathers like me. There's hope in Jesus for fathers who weren't present, fathers who were abusive, fathers who said things that they never should have said and did things they never should have did. There's hope. And so if you're here on a Father's Day and it's a little difficult for you, I want you to know that I, Jesus hears your pain. Now let me speak to some of you who maybe had those kinds of fathers who said things they shouldn't have said, did things they shouldn't have did, maybe were absent. I want you to know that in God we have a Father in heaven who's not a bigger version of your earthly father, but a perfect version of your earthly father. That if your father would have said all the right things for all the right reasons, if he would have done all the right things with all the right motivations, if your, if your father would have done everything to bless you, love you, and treat you well, uh, lifting you up in encouragement, if your father would have done all of those things, then he would be closer to your heavenly father than he was to your earthly father. And so if your heart is broken about your earthly father, I want you to know that there's hope that we can rest in our Heavenly Father, and He's good to us. And He'll never leave nor forsake. My dad left when I was 11. I'm 43, and my Heavenly Father still hasn't left my side. And He won't leave yours. So some of you, you just need to just think on that, embrace that, absorb that, and rest in that. Some of you need to rejoice in that and just go, oh, that's right. He's with us. He's for us, and he'll never leave nor forsake, because he's our heavenly Father. Let's take a moment to pray again, and uh, ask Jesus to help our hearts to hope in him. Father, we, what a great, happy Father's Day to you. What a great, great name you've given yourself. We love that you're almighty and all-present. We love that you say uh, that you're a strong tower and a mighty refuge. We love those names about you, but Lord, the one that we love the most, Papa. It's the one we love the most. And so, Lord, even 
even when we don't feel like that, even when our parents disappoint us or we disappoint them. We just rest in you and trust in you, knowing that you can heal even father wounds, even the scars of fatherhood you could, both the ones that we've given and the ones that we've received. So Lord, I pray for the fathers and I pray for the children here that we would be reminded of a heavenly father and may we all be pointing to you knowing that you're able. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, which will it be? Hell yes or hell no? We've been in a series for two weeks. This is our second week in the series, and we've been talking about the reality of the afterlife. That there is more to life than what we see. That everything that you experience here on this earth is not all that there is. There's something beyond. And we've talked last week, we talked about hell being not only a real place, but a demonstration of God's justice and mercy. If you didn't hear that, then you're going to miss a lot. So um, good news, we have uh, a website, rhowbk.org www.rhowbk.org and you can go on this website and listen to last week's message. Also, um, we have a podcast that you can listen to. There's a lot of different ways. If you're just still, like, (laughs) I don't want to point you out. How many of you are so cute you still have CDs? Go ahead. Put your hands up. We want to just look at you. You're so cute. You're so cute. You're like you're like eight-track recording people. You know that, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, but it's ABBA. So you put in the eight-track. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we love you anyway. Um, yeah, but if, you, if you're a CD person, and I actually personally like CDs because that's, that's what I have in my car. So um, we have CDs for you as well. But, um, and that's at the end of this service. You can get those. The point is, is that um, last week we talked about the reality of hell, and, um, and you don't want to miss that. It's not, um, many of the popular objections we tried to address last week, we're not going to talk about that. This week we're going to talk about heaven. And so last week was hell, yes. This week is hell, no. We're not, we're not going to live for hell. We're, we're going to live for heaven. We're going to be reminded that heaven's a real place and a good place. I want us to look at the scriptures. There's so much that speaks about heaven, but we're going to look in the book of Revelation at the very, very end of Revelation. It's an incredible description. We can't read it all, but um, I want you to look there. Um, John, the apostle, is writing. He's at the end of his life, and he's thinking about things that are beyond the here and now. God gives him an incredible revelation that blows his mind, and he actually writes it down for us. Now, it's important that when we look at the book of Revelation, listen to me, when we look at the book of Revelation, we remember for who it was written to. The book of Revelation was written to people who were suffering. The book of Revelation was written to marriages who were on the rocks, to people who were in great pain 
to people who are enduring the kind of suffering that one endures when one is on this earth. I hope you understand that being on this earth doesn't, that being on this earth necessitates that you suffer. It's a broken and fallen world. Be a Christian, you'll suffer. Be an atheist, you'll suffer. That no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, suffering, some people say, um, what was it? Um, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Yet you haven't lived very long then. You haven't been very... Listen to me. Watching someone that you love, I don't care what you want to call it, that's called watching someone you love perish before your eyes in a slow death that takes them years. We call that suffering. Watching your own body break down and not respond to you in the ways that it ought to respond or that it used to respond, we call that suffering. Let's not be glib. Let's not be silly. Let's not go with um, sayings that really don't have any great value. Listen, pain is real, suffering is real, and sometimes you don't get a choice in the matter. Well, the Bible says pain and suffering is very real. And because it's real, and because God knows that you're going to go through it, he wanted to give us a vision of a reality that goes beyond our suffering, beyond our pain, beyond our present circumstances, beyond what is here and now. And so he inspired John to write this incredible book of Revelation. And so we're going to read. It's full with imagery. I'm going to try to speak about some of the imagery, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of heaven, the heaven that this passage speaks about. And we're going to talk about how it affects your life. So would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to look at the book of Revelation, chapter 12. I brought last week's notes. That's great. Well then, let's all look at the screen. At Revelation chapter 21, verses 21 through 22, 5. Let's look. 1, 2, 3. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is His lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the Amen. 
Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and leaves, trees, are for healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Today is going to be eventful. Um, So let's look at this text. And it starts in verse 21. It says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I want you to know, not only is heaven for real, heaven is incredible. And this will give us, heaven will, will give us a perspective on how to live on earth. I've said this before, unfortunately. The more I study God's word, the more I look back and think of the unfortunate things that I've said that sounded cool, but that weren't true. And so one of the things that I've said over and over again, and I'm wrong, that sounds cool, but that's not true, is, um, uh, yeah, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Have you ever heard something like that? Don't be so heavenly. What what I'm here to tell you is that that's wrong. That only those who are heavenly minded are any earthly good. Only those who have their hearts set on heaven, whose gaze is on Christ, who are looking towards heaven, only those can have any real impact. Heaven gives us stuff. Heaven gives us things. Heaven gives us benefits and perspectives that we don't have if we're here on earth and only think that this is all that it will be. Last week, we had one of the greatest terrorist attacks on U.S. soil since uh, 9-11. It was unbelievable. Of course, you've heard. In Florida... How many lives? I forgot, they lost count, right? Was it 49? 49 deaths. 49 deaths. That is breathtaking to me. Because you and I know that if we go to a funeral of one friend, that's overwhelming. 49 of those? Oh my. Oh my. One of the things that I noticed is when you got the families talking about the suffering that they were going through. Those family members would say something like this, well, at least we know they're in a better place. You see, there's this idea of heaven that is whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, love Jesus 
or don't love Jesus. Whether you're for Jesus or not for Jesus. There's something about heaven that makes us all hope for it and helps us to deal with the great suffering of life. This is what we'll be looking at today. Because everybody knows that heaven gives you perspective. Heaven gives you hope. Heaven gives you strength. So let's look at being more heavenly minded so that we might be some earthly good. I'm going to give you three benefits of heaven. If you're taking notes, you want to write these down. But let me show you what heaven gives. First, we see that heaven gives a reason for earthly good. Heaven gives a reason for earthly good. What we mean by this is that if you're in Christ, now, oh man, I should have said this earlier. This message is for Christians. Oh man, I should have said this earlier. This message is for Christians. Let me tell you why it's for Christians. Because those who have had hell paid for them are the ones who get to hope in heaven. Heaven, it, heaven is for the ones that Christ paid for their hell. So, if you're here and you go, I don't know if I'm a Christian. In other words, if Jesus is not your delight, if Jesus is not your all in all, if he's not the one, the, the way, the truth, and the life, if you could take Jesus or leave him, then, then this is a good message for you too. Because you get to see the great joy that is found. We're going to give you a little glimpse behind the curtain. And we'll hope that maybe a message like this might pull you over to the edge and come to Christ. Now, listen. I should probably say this because of the illustration that I just used. Last week, that was uh, 49 people in a gay club. And I want to just say this. There's a there's a perspective in America that if somehow you fall into this category of gay, we'll call it gay, and God wants nothing to do with you, I want you to know that the Bible speaks about a profound, profound brokenness in man and that we all, every last one of us, fall into this profound brokenness called sin. Now, as a church, to be clear, we, we are Bible-believing people. We hold the scriptures really high. So here's what we say. All of us deserve hell. Every one of us. You straight people, you deserve hell. You gay people, you deserve hell. You people who are not sure, you deserve hell. <laughs> we all deserve hell. What I love about the scriptures, what I love about the scriptures is that it's true. And that if we miss that, we miss it. So now, now that I just said that we all deserve hell, who here deserves hell? Raise your hand. Okay, so then the few of y'all not paying attention, right? Let me try this again. 
you white people, you deserve hell. You non-Anglo people, you deserve hell. You really skinny folks, you deserve hell. You pleasantly plump folks, hell too. Now, we say that, and we're trying to say it lightly, but it's a very, very, very serious subject. The reason that I'm saying this is that because we're all doomed. We're all hopeless. There's nobody I've ever met, not in this room, not outside of this room, there's no one that I've ever met that's, more, that's worse than I am. And so because I talked about that, that illustration, I want you to know that if you're here and you're watching me on video or listening to me on the podcast or presently here, I want you to know, man, all sinners are welcome. Straight sinners, gay sinners, married sinners, unmarried sinners, all sinners are welcome. That Jesus closes the door on no one, because if he had to close the door uh, on those who sin, he'd close the door on everyone. And that our coming to Christ, and so no greater, no lesser, we have this view and we recognize it and we just go, oh my gosh, I don't deserve heaven. So let's look at the text that talks about heaven and roots our hope in Jesus. Let's do that together. In verse 21, the 12 gates were the 12 pearls. Each gate made a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. Again, we started with a reason. For, heaven gives us a reason for earthly good. Now, let me tell you why. If you're in Christ, the reason that you can sacrifice, the reason that you can give of yourself, the reason that you could share your life and lose, all the while being joyful, is because heaven is true. Let me tell you why. When we look towards heaven, when we think of heaven, we think of a place that we desperately long for and don't yet experience but we know is true. What that means is that when, whenever I go to serve someone in a sacrificial way, I can do that with great joy in my life. Even if they're taking advantage of me, I can do that with great joy in my life. And the reason is, it's because heaven is true. You see, here's what I mean. In, um, did you ever, uh, and by the way, um, Tim Keller's sermon on this very text was unbelievably helpful to me. I borrowed a lot from his sermon on this text. I'm really grateful to him, but I feel obligated to say that. Um, he's from Redeemer Presbyterian, great pastor. But an example that he talked about in his uh, sermon, which I thought was brilliant, was that how did in the first hundred years of Christianity go from, uh, in the Roman Empire, from 6 to 8% Christian to in 100 years, 100 years, 50% Christian. How did that happen? Here's a possible reason. Because there were two terrible plagues that happened in the Roman world. Terrible plagues that lasted like 15 years long. One might have been smallpox and the other one might have been measles. Nobody really knows which one it was, but it was killing people like crazy. Like unbelievable, like 35,000 people a week 
crazy. That's a lot of people. So the pagans, and I don't mean that like in a curse word kind of way. I mean, like literally, they just, they believed in many gods, right? They were pagans. They, were, they believed in false gods. Okay, so the pagans, the pagans got out of Dodge. They ran out of town. They got out. You know why? Because sickness and death is there. And if, and, and if earth is all you know, then you're going to want to run out of Dodge when the sickness comes. But you know who stayed? The Christians. Why? The reason that the Christians stayed was because they said, look at these people. They're dying. They need somebody to care for them. But, but you might die. This is not the end for me. I know that there is a place called heaven that I will live on forever and ever. This is not the end for me. All I see is not all that there is. And so they loved and cared for, and many of them died. But many of the people that they cared for lived. And so what happens in a place where all the non-Christians leave, sickness befalls, and Christians start taking care of you know what, those, what happens to those people? They come to Christ. You're sure that kind of love transforms you. If Jesus is like that, I want to be. If Jesus didn't just risk his life but gave his life, if Jesus loves me, cares for me enough to bring you here to um, get me healthy again, happened twice. Roman world went from 6 to 8%, single digits, in 100 years to 50%. So what you think about the afterlife matters. Because if you just think, ah, we're just here and that's all there is, heaven is a crutch. It's a crutch. It's a crutch. It's an opiate for the masses. As I, was that Nietzsche or Marx? Was it Marx? Yeah, yeah. Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. It's the sedator. It's the one that puts you to sleep. Listen to me. He's wrong. It makes you live more sacrificially. It makes you do good on earth. In fact, and you could say this, maybe you could say that about religion, but you can't say that about Christianity. Christianity is not an opiate. It doesn't put you to sleep. Christianity is the smelling sauce. Christianity wakes you up and says, no, there is more to life than what I'm presently living, and I'm not going to live for selfish ideas and selfish um, uh, qualities. I'm going to live beyond myself because there is something beyond me. Heaven gives us a reason for earthly good. Secondly, heaven gives us a strength for earthly good. Write that down. Heaven gives us a strength for earthly good. Now when you and I are here as we live out lives, isn't it true? We're getting older. We're getting weaker. I just noticed, I'm in complete denial, all right? And if you ever, if you ever see me with glasses, I'm going to get mad if you mention them. Other than you say they look nice on me, but I'm in denial. I'm noticing I can't see that like I used to. I'm noticing I'm doing that, you know, that little salsa that, uh, that over 40 people do. They go, oh, what's that, what's that? It's horrible. I've never needed glasses in my life. But you know why? Because I'm dying. You're dying too. And as I continue to grow older, more suffering will enter my life. 
Suffering that will be unspeakable. Suffering, right now, many of you are going through a great deal of suffering. Right now, you have housing issues. Right now, you have um, medical issues. Right now, you have single or married issues. Right now, you are suffering in many different ways. Heaven, being reminded of heaven, reminds us. It gives us a strength to go on, even in our suffering. So that when I'm suffering, I can go, wait, this is not all there is. I remember when I was homeless, and I've been homeless twice. When I was homeless, I remember looking at my situation and going, God, all I want is a place to call my own. I want to be housed. I want to be safe. Homelessness is a, is, is a place of great insecurity. Homelessness is a, a place of great fear. And I just wanted some security. I wanted some safety. I wanted to be okay. And I remember after a few months of being, starting to get upset about being homeless, God did something precious. He reminded me. He goes, Edwin, you're not home yet. There's a home for you. You know, a great story is told about um, a missionary who had spent uh, 30 years abroad and was on a ship heading back for New York. The great um, uh, philanthropist and I believe politician, uh, Rockefeller, was on that boat. And as they were sailing towards New York, there was a marching band and signs that welcomed Rockefeller. And the missionary looked out and saw the signs and was sort of disappointed because he had spent 30 years on the mission field serving and giving his life, watching great suffering and experiencing great loss and suffering in his own life. And he looked at that and he said, God, why don't I get a welcome? Why don't, why don't I get a celebrated? And he said, God spoke to his heart. And what God said is, because you're not home yet. Listen. Why are you suffering? Why are you going through what you're going through? Why is your heart broken the way it's broken? Why do you deal with the pain that you deal with? Why is there so much disappointment? Why do the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Why does suffering happen to really nice people and, and it seems like good things happen to... Let me tell you why. Because you're not home yet. God reminded me that my homelessness wasn't my home situation. I wasn't home yet. I wasn't home yet. Beloved, you're not home yet. Why am I... Because you're not home yet. Why are things not going my way? Because this is... This is not the way things should be. Another thing that I want to point out is that in, in the beginning, if you go to the beginning of the chapter, which is verse 1, it starts talking about how heaven comes to earth so that heaven that earth is being healed earth is going to be healed and that means if you're a Christian you want to alleviate the sufferings of others you want to alleviate the hurts of others why? because you are working along with God to see to, in order to be about justice in order to be about healing in order to be about serving in others you don't have to be less heavenly minded you have to be more so because even as you suffer, you can bring healing to others. Heaven 
gives us a reason for earthly good, a strength for earthly good, and then goals beyond earthly good. This is really important. Because you and I are going to be disappointed if we try to make a savior out of something on this earth. Let me tell you what I mean. Have you ever been on a bridge? Have you ever been on a bridge and gone on the bridge and then you see a sign and it says maximum weight, you know, 50 tons, 10 tons, whatever it is, right? Because the bridge is meant to only hold a particular amount of weight. That's all that the bridge can sustain. If you put more weight on that bridge, it crushes it. Make sense? Okay, listen to me. Heaven is important because what we do is we try to make heaven out of people here on earth, out of things here on earth. Let me tell you why. Let me, let me help you understand why you're so miserable in your marriage. It's because you're trying to, and, and honestly, some, some, I'm not talking about all marriages. Some abusive situations just need to be getting out of. But if it's a reasonably healthy marriage or a, has some semblance of health. The reason is, is because you put heaven on your spouse and it's too much tonnage. Your hopes and your dreams, your joy is too much weight for your spouse to hold on their shoulders. The, the hope that you, have you ever heard this? Why did you get a divorce? Oh, because I fell out of love. I was in love, but then I fell out of love. Or they'll say something like this. Well, I, they just weren't making me happy. Or they'll say, I found someone who finally made me happy, and I wanted to just be with them, and I left my spouse. Beloved, listen to me. Whenever you put your happiness on the shoulders of another person, you crush them. They weren't meant to be your savior. They weren't meant to be the person who upholds your joy. Trust me. Those who we deify, eventually we demonize. Those who we deify, eventually we demonize. In other words, those who we make like our gods, eventually we make like our demons. Because what we do is we go, make me happy, fill me, complete me. Oh my. Oh my. And what heaven does is it says, I remember, um, have you ever had, like, anybody here married who ever had, like, stretches of problems in your marriage? Raise your hand if that's ever you. Yeah, right, just one or two of you, right? Okay, yeah. Right, so now watch this. So there was a time where I, when with my wife, we were having one of those stretches. It was just a tough time. And believe me, she's a saint. I mean, she's wonderful. She, she's incredible. I definitely got the better end of the deal when we married each other. But I was in one of those moments where I was feeling pretty self-centered and, you know, why am I meeting my needs and why am I man? Like, you know, all that, right? And so... I was in my sort of mopey, whiny moment, and, but, I, was, but I, I, I remembered that throughout life, 
that God can handle my mopey whininess. And he loves me even when I'm a whiny, mopey mess, right? So I was walking down the street, and this brought tears to my eyes. I was saying, man, it's so hard to be married. It's so difficult. This is, and he goes, Ed, Ed, that's because you put your hope on the wrong marriage. There's going to be a marriage where Jesus comes from heaven to earth and he'll marry his bride, right? After the dead in Christ shall arise, we that are still alive will call, be called up to meet him in the air where there will be a, a marriage that is consummated between Christ's bride, his church, those Christians who have trusted in Christ and Jesus, and that will be the marriage of your dreams. Right now, you have the marriage of this earth, and it's as good as it's going to get, and sometimes it's out of this world, and sometimes it's out of this world, right? <laughs> and you can just go, you know what? It's, you're good. You're not my God. And of course, you're not meeting my needs. Jesus meets my needs. Heaven, of course you're not all I hoped for. Good night. How many men has my wife been married to, right? Like, she's only been married to me, right? But I mean, how many times have I changed? I'm not the same. I met her when I was 17. You have no idea. You can't even imagine me at 17. You can't even imagine. I was a nut job. Like, you think I'm crazy now. Oh, my. And yet, if my wife's hope is in Christ and not in her husband, she'll have a joyful marriage. Maybe, maybe I put the weight of my life on my career. If my career is good, if I'm making enough finances, then I'll be happy. Remember what we're saying. Heaven gives us goals beyond marriage. I'm, I'm sorry. Heaven gives us goals beyond earthly good. So we have our job. And it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's a gift that God gave us. Did you know that work is not a product of the fall? There was, there was work before the fall of man. In other words, before sin ever entered in this world, there was work because work is good. And yet, there are some of us who make our work our God. And if we, I mean, if we rock the house, if we get the client, make the sale, close the deal, um, if we, you know, are the employee of the month or whatever it is, then things are going very well. If our bank account is growing and our finance is maturing, then things are going very, very well. And if the stock market crashes and if our clientele base evaporates, then we're not so good. Listen, the problem isn't that you have goals. That the problem is, is that our goals are too short-sighted. We need to have goals beyond this earth. And that is being with Christ forever and ever, resting in him, trusting, knowing that if we succeed at work, yay! If we have a great marriage, yay! If work tanks and we're vilified and lied about and everything goes wrong, Jesus is still great. That's not where my identity is. And if marriage is awful and painful, and it just seems like an, a consecutive fight, Jesus is my hope. And he's the one I'm married to. And in him, I have a perfect union. Over and over and over again, in this passage, and in others like it, it tells us what heaven will be like. 
heaven will have, it's like streets of gold. It's like, and, and in this passage, it talks, there's so many visuals about the, the tree of life. The tree of life that bears 12 different fruits or 12 different products. It talks about how God can put a tree of life there because the tree of life in the Garden of Eden where the first tree of life was, those people could not live forever because if they lived forever, sinful people would have gone on forever. But here there will be no sin and we can go on forever with great joy. Beloved, listen to me. Heaven is true. Heaven is for you. Heaven is the place that God beckons you. It's coming from heaven to earth to make all things true and all things right. Now, in the text, I want you to notice this. If you go down in, verse, uh, in chapter 21, and look at verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. Now, do you know that in this text, it never mentions the name of Jesus. It just mentions him as the lamb. Now, this is interesting. The reason that this is interesting is because the lamb, you go, wait, 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 wait. The lamb? The lamb was what Jesus did for us. He was, the lamb was the one who was slayed. But he's not a lamb anymore. He's like this conquering lion, right? Well, the beauty is, is that the gospel is the basis for our joy in heaven, just like it is the basis for our joy here on earth. That the same basis that Christians have on earth for rejoicing is the same basis we have in heaven, and it's this. You are not good enough, but that he is good enough and that we are in him. And the one who laid down his life for the sins of the world, the Lamb, reflecting on him, his sacrifice, him giving himself up for us, him loving us to death. It is because of that that we can have the hope of heaven. We put our trust in Jesus because he died for us. We can keep our trust in Jesus because he rose for us. Jesus can be our all in all, even when our marriages are not going well, even when work is not going well, even when we're suffering, even when things don't look well. Everything, our hopes, our dreams can all be placed on Jesus because it's Jesus who went to the cross to die for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming back again. It is the lamb for sinners slain. It was the lamb who gives us the hope of heaven. It's the lamb in whom we trust. I want that for you. I want that for you. Yeah. Some of you are here, and you don't know the lamb. You just don't know the Lamb. You don't have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. Beloved, I want you to turn to him. I want you to look to him as Savior and Lord, King and God. Turn to him now. You go, I don't have all my questions answered. You don't need all your questions answered. I don't have all my questions answered. Good night. None of us do. You go, but I still have doubt. Join the club, me too. It's okay. If, listen to me. 
It's why they call it faith. It's not called math. It's called faith. The reason it's called faith is because we trust in Christ. And sometimes there's doubt. Doubt creeps in and it's okay. Even some of the greatest saints had doubt. Come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. You have an opportunity today. Here's what that looks like to come to Jesus. It's going, Jesus, here's the truth about me. I've lived for earth. I've lived for my pleasure, for me. I'm the boss of my life. I do life my way. And you can say, I don't want to do that anymore. Forgive me of my sin. I come to you. Single, married, rich, poor, gay, straight, doesn't matter. You can come to Christ. He'll receive you. He'll save you of your sin. He'll forgive you of your, the things that you feel shame about. He'll give you. He'll cleanse you over. You can come to him now.